Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Friday Reporter Podcast. It's a podcast where me, Lisa, the host, interviews journalists and the journalism adjacent about their work. The Friday Reporter Podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. And if you don't know about PR Daily, it is a tremendous uh, resource for communicators like myself and you and and the folks you work with. Uh, PR Daily actually just launched what's called the PR Daily Leadership Network. It's a peer-to-peer brainstorming and networking opportunity for mid-level communicators, uh, access to uh, measurement of SEO, uh, business fluency, presentation training, lots of other opportunities there at prdaily.com. If you're interested in the PR Daily Leadership Network, be sure to mention that you heard about it on the Friday Reporter Podcast to receive $500 off of your membership. Okay, well, welcome back to another show, another Friday Reporter, where this Friday I get to talk to Matt Friedman, who is not only a reporter for Politico covering New Jersey, he's the author of the New Jersey Playbook, uh, and we'll link all that cool stuff in the show notes. But Matt, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so uh, we have long, long uh, been covering and knowing New Jersey, but I want to know more about how does a guy from from Bergen County? Am I right? You're originally from Bergen County. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not even a New Jersey. I'm not even a New Jersey guy originally. Not okay. So tell me, how does a guy from not from New Jersey get to be covering New Jersey? Yeah, I. It was a very conscious decision, actually. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I say I'm not originally from New Jersey, but I am. Um, well, my my wife, who's a native of New Jersey, and always says I I wish I was from New Jersey. You know, I don't know why. Like I'm from the Empire State. Okay. Right. Uh, very foreign <laughs> to New Jersey. I know. I'm from about you know like fifty miles from the New Jersey border up uh, in the Mid Hudson Valley. Okay. I, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I went to New Jersey for college and basically stayed there until um, four years ago. Where did you go to school? Uh, Drew University. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, went to college in Jersey and other than a little time at home and a little time in Manhattan, you know, once I went to college in New Jersey, I was basically there until four years ago, I moved to Philadelphia, um, mostly in Jersey city, uh, where I spent most of my adult life. And, uh, you know, having, um, I I moved to Jersey city right after college, I think it was like 2004 and Glenn Cunningham was the mayor when Mm -hmm. I moved there. Yeah died uh had a like massive heart attack i think and died actually i think it was if i'm correct it was right um as he was on a bicycle tour i think with a uh unknown uh guy who was running for congress against bob menendez who was a uh, a member of the house at the time mm-hmm. uh, like a you know a kamikaze candidate uh yeah. no chance of winning but just there to kind of ruffle menendez's feathers that guy's name was steve fuller mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I don't know if like it happened, right? I don't, I'd have to go back and look at it. But anyway, this set off a chain of events. It set off a- uh, There'll be no fact checker, Matt. So we're, we're just here it, talking about stuff over coffee. It, it happened, <laughs> I believe, in my memory, it was on the bicycle tour, but I didn't, I didn't fact check that. Yeah. But, uh, um, that set off a uh, special election um, to replace Cunningham. And it was a free for all, I think, in Jersey City, like if you talk to people there, they're like, oh, yeah, that was an interesting race, but it wasn't especially memorable. But to me, uh, I had never seen anything as dirty, as insane, as little covered by the New, New York press, you know, um, considering how crazy it was. Yeah. The campaign literature of like, uh, I think uh, people in uh, Klan outfits, in um, 
the uh, ma- the the guy who eventually won the race, uh, Jeremiah Healy, photographed naked on his front porch, uh, passed out presumably under the influence. Uh, and this is just like par for the course in a Jersey City. I love America. Jersey City. I love everything about it. I yeah, met with Brett. I met with Brett Schindler when he was the mayor, like a, what feels like a lifetime ago, in the in in City Hall, and it was like people don't even know what they're missing. I mean, there's just so much goodness happening up in that city. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. And it's sort of like, shoot, you know, if, if you're covering it, it's sort of like shooting fish in the barrel. So anyway, this is like 2004. I'm like, you know, working in the publishing industry at scientific journals, not even an editorial job, just doing circulation. Yeah. And just starting off as a part-time uh, graduate student mm-hmm. uh, in journalism. And uh, because... Now, if, if we want to talk about how I got into journalism, sort of, I decided late and wound up going to grad school for it, which I don't really recommend if you know you want to be a journalist <laughs> and have, you know, went to college. Everybody's path and, is different. Yeah. And, and like, if I had known in college, I would have joined the school paper. Yeah. You know, I would have done, but I sort of found myself senior year of college, like, wow, I, other than like, you know, playing my, uh, a musical instrument to maintain a scholarship there, I didn't do a lot of uh, activities uh, and, um, I, uh, decided too late that I decided I wanted to go into journalism. And, uh, so I did take the grad school path because I really, at that point had no way of getting an internship because I hadn't done my school paper and I hadn't, you know, right, I right, right. to that world. Um, so at the time I was just starting, um, we're about to start in grad school and watching this race. And so like in my grad school program, we picked a beat. And so I chose Jersey City as my beat that I would, you know, my little fake story, not fake stories, but my stories that were never published. on. And um, uh, watch this happen. I said, oh, you know, I want to cover New Jersey politics. (laughs) I didn't think anything beyond that. You know, that's what I want to do. I didn't know, oh, I'll be doing this for the next uh, 15 years. Right. (laughs) Uh, I decided that was what, what I wanted to do. And. Um, Where'd you I go to grad school? To work towards that. It was uh, Columbia. Oh, nice. Yeah, J school, sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, uh, you know, went through grad school, did that. Eventually, it was like fortuitous. I got laid off from the publishing job because the company moved to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember my boss was like, well, why don't you come work for us part time? It's like, yeah, I'm going to like, I didn't have a car. I'm going to take Metro <laughs> North up to the, this was like on a trunk line of Metro North and Connecticut, like took like two and a half hours to get there. Like, yeah, I'm going to go work for $7 an hour. And no, thanks. <laughs> so I was able, you know, I finished, uh, was able to finish grad school and um, uh, without having to keep working. I think I worked most of it, but, uh, eventually, um, I got an internship, uh, at, got a couple internships, uh, immediately following grad school. Uh, some paid a little, some paid almost nothing. Uh, one was with USA Today, which was sort of fun. It would, they didn't really give me a lot to do. I kind of had to find my own things to write about, but, uh, then I got, uh, an internship with Wayne Barrett, who was a, uh, kind of legendary investigative reporter at the Village Voice. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about that, because he is, you're not the first uh, reporter to tell me about having spent a little time. Was it, what was that like? There's a huge community of people who who did like, you know, the Wayne Barrett sort of journalism boot camp. Yeah. What was it like? Uh, What a guy. Um, 
it was extremely hard. I, I think bet. in today's environment, like rest in peace, Wayne. Uh, I loved him. I think he was one of the greatest journalists New York City has seen. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a difficult person. And I think in today's environment, when we talk about workplaces and we talk about um, <laughs> there would be a lot of controversy because it was tough. I cried. Uh, I yeah. think we all did. Everyone there. He could be very uh, he was very demanding and he could be very harsh if you screwed up. But also it was like you went through, you know, a few months uh, working for him. You put in a lot of hours um, and then you came out of it and you had this guy who would just extremely well respected absolutely uh, a legend yeah journalism yeah really a legend mm-hmm. and you put him on your resume and people recognize him and he goes to bat for you like he was ex- you you may he wasn't like he didn't enjoy being cruel he was just kind of a you know difficult person mm-hmm. yeah. uh, <laughs> and and so he could yell and uh it was stressful and i, I look back at it today i'm like I, i'm i there might have been some controversy about it but it's like i can't say that it, it was actually a great experience for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it definitely and shaped who you are today as a journalist, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, he helped me get started because it's just what a thing to have on your resume and what a guy to go to bat for you when people call him as a reference. And people want to call him as a reference. I bet they do. Yeah, they want to be able to say they talk to him. Sure. Yeah, and he, and he did so much great work over so many years. And if you look at his body of work and the people he called out early, when they were popular, mm-hmm. before they disgraced themselves. Uh, look at his work. I mean, Rudy Giuliani. A lot of people said, Wayne, you are obsessed with Giuliani. Well, look where we are today and look at who Giuliani has revealed himself to be, you know? like Right. Um, so it's, uh, I've, I've got to give him credit for that. So anyway, worked for him for a while. Not super long. This was, I don't know, a couple months, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, as I was there, I interviewed um for a job uh, in New Jersey politics uh, on instant messenger uh, with a person who went by the moniker Wally Edge. Mm -hmm. Who has been a guest on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Who I didn't know who it was. No. I felt weird. weird Neither did Kornacki. (laughs) This is after Steve Kornacki, which is one of the things which is like, Kornacki's like, okay, so that guy, you know, who was, he wasn't a TV personality yet, but he was, you know, pretty as, well-established journalist by the time I was doing this. Uh, and um, uh, I uh, interviewed, I didn't feel great about working for an anonymous person, mm-hmm. uh, but your options, you know, especially back then with journalism, it's sort of the beginning of the decline of newspaper journalism. This is like 2007. Yeah. And uh, I interviewed with him on, on uh, I am took the job uh didn't have a lot of other options the ledger <laughs> yeah the ledger i tried to get a job at the ledger they not not interested completely ignored um and uh you know that really throws you into the inside politics like deep inside new jersey politics more than you could ever possibly want to know absolutely yeah and um uh, every day and every day an autopsy of what's going on yeah. <laughs> yeah and a lot of uh um uh a lot of stuff that no one else is writing about but you get familiar with sort of the inner workings of the systems and how county politics works and how important mm-hmm. that is to the rest of the politics right uh, and um from that you know i spent uh three years there uh and then i finally at, on my third time let's see i twice uh the first time right i was uh, starting understandable the second time after 
couple years there and having written, you know, stories over the years that were duplicated by the Star Ledger, I said, okay, finally, like if they're, if they're like doing, if they're following my stories, maybe they'll consider hiring me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, applied to them again, totally rejected. No, you know, not even a second thought at me. <sighs> finally, after a few years, they came to me and hired me mm-hmm. uh, without me and, and, you know, without me having to, to take the step. Yeah. Like finally, some like, cause that was always kind of my goal. You know, when I was in journalism school or whatever, that's where I wanted to get. It was the biggest newspaper in the state, so of course I wanted sure. to get there. Yeah. So it worked at the Star Ledger for five years in the State House Bureau. I feel like it did really improve uh, my journalism uh, because you're working with you know people who've been trained as journalists for decades. Wild oh my Steve, gosh! Yeah. Great guy comes from the political world. Yes. And, you know, yeah. and now I'm working uh, with people who came up in journalism, so I, I did learn a lot mm-hmm. uh, about more, more traditional reporting. Uh, and um, were you at the Star Ledger while Christie was governor? Yeah, I was there mm-hmm. for um, for Christie's entire first term mm-hmm. uh, and some of his second term. So I came in uh, at the end of 2009, I think, okay, uh, and stayed until 2015. Uh, or no, I came in 2010. Sorry. So I came, I, I guess I, I came early into Christie's first term at the okay. Star Ledger and stayed there until 2015 uh, when I came on board with Politico. And I have been there ever since. So I've been doing more or less, you know, the same kind of job, which is general politics and whatever, you know, for different outlets uh, and somewhat different focuses. But I've been I said I wanted to cover New Jersey politics and I never left uh, for better or worse. And, you know, I mean, look, I I can't say I don't enjoy it. Sometimes I hate it. Sometimes I love it. Yeah, Uh, it's. It feels a little like Groundhog Day. I know. I mean, the one thing people forget is that we have elections every single year, and every single year, a lot of the same people are on the ballot, and there's it's all so kinds exhausting. of it's, it's, it's the same the cycle. Never, there's no slow times really anymore. I, I don't know if they're everywhere, honestly, but no, um, no, there just, wasn't. Yeah, right, every six months, there's there's a primary, and then there's an election. It's mm-hmm. every single year. Yep. Uh, because we have the odd year elections uh, for state level government, uh, and I. Uh, uh, it's, uh, hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I wake up, I can't imagine doing anything else. Sometimes I wake up, it's like, Jesus Christ, I got to find something else to do. <laughs> I, Welcome to life. <laughs> I feel like we're all sort of living that. <laughs> and so, my thing is like, I'm like, I'm just like, I'm, uh, how ambitious am I? Like, I don't want to cover national politics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, there's, there's a thing, there's always part of you that drives you like, oh, I want to get to the top level of this profession. But then I think about it, I'm like, this is stressful enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Washington is a fun place to visit, but I've never wanted to live there. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, so I guess I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing. I, you know, I, what is uh, it like, though? Because you started, I mean, you know, paying attention to Jersey City, doing that in J school, going to Politics NJ, where you're like really sort of inside autopsy of all of politics, and then Star Ledger and now Politico. What's it like? to write, I don't know, maybe I don't understand how it is that the state politicos of the world work with Washington politico or national, I mean, because politico is kind of everywhere now. It's a little bit different, right? I mean, as it relates to like, you're writing and you're the expert, right? You're telling them exactly what's going on. How much of, how much editing, talk to me a little bit about your process, because I know you write playbook and that's an early product and you got to get up early and really pay attention to everything that's going on. Um, How does your, how does your process work? 
well, not to give any trade secrets. I used to get up very early to play a book, but um, I started doing it in such a way as I stopped having to get up super early in the morning. Well, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's good. I, I, I tell people that I, I always say it publicly, but, you know, honestly, few people have noticed. It means like, you know, Gannett posts some stories at four in the morning that maybe before would have gotten in that day's edition that then now they get in the next day's edition. But whatever, I'd appreciate it if Gannett posted them a little later. <laughs> That's their priority. Um, it's I still do the job for a New Jersey audience primarily. Yeah. Uh, the difference is every once in a while, um, the people in uh, Rosslyn, where Politico is headquartered, mm -hmm. want a Jersey story um, for a national audience. So I'm always kind of uh, keeping an eye out for like what is going on in our state that both has re relevance nationally um, or, um, or or people would be interested in consuming. And sometimes it's just like an odd story, but also, you know, New Jersey really in today's uh, environment, what we're battling, the groups we're battling for in terms of control of Congress, the persuadable voters, a lot of this is in New Jersey. So there's mm -hmm. a natural... Um, natural thirst for for new jersey news and the national scene so that's one way it's different but generally you know when i get up every day my main goal is just like what is going on in new jersey government yeah and i i find that like where i've really uh uh just focused for whatever reason is i like to cover campaign finance partly it's because there's sort of um not a ton of people who uh who who pay a lot of close attention to it other than yeah. just or understand it. Yeah. That much money. Yeah. And it's like, and it's all there. I like things that are like, I'm kind of people might not know it from my Twitter feed, but I think naturally I'm more of an introvert. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm always prefer, you know, anything I can do with documents instead of having to talk to people. Now yeah. I do talk to people, obviously that's a big part of the job, but of um, documents are like, you know, it's solid versus sourcing you've always got you know you've always got to wonder how how solid is it with documents it's just there right it's you know, the, right it's just the just straight facts yep yeah. yeah and that's what i always prefer and campaign finance has a lot of that because there's um still something of a paper trail and at the same time we're kind of in a, a wild west time of, of campaign finance where almost anything goes and almost nobody gets prosecuted or anything but a slap on the wrist for you know even some of the most egregious uh offenses yeah so I feel like it's undercovered. There's a lot there. Uh, and uh, it takes a lot of work, Matt, right? It takes a lot of work to dive into those documents. A lot of people have very short deadlines. I mean, it's actually kind of great that you do that because I think that it is really a not so understood and not so covered um, part of the world. But like even just the other day, there was a story about how the national Democrats are are standing up some, um, you know, the moderate party in New Jersey. Like there's a yeah, lot of sort of yeah. playing behind the scenes. I think that that's a news thread that is going to get bigger and bigger. I like to think that anyway. I mean, I, I don't know if it will, but there's a lot to be uncovered there. Yeah, there always is. And and it's just, uh, and that's partly because there's just not that many people covering it. Uh, you know, when we tend to talk about it, it's like this person raised this much money and this person raised this much money. And we write about it as like, a horse race thing, yeah kind of, you know, and it's like there's a lot more to it than that i also like kind of the politics of government like using i, I like covering it like using um using positions using government to advance things politically and that's why especially like writing about things like um the maneuvering that takes place in last minute legislation usually around lame duck or budget season two 
say that's specifically designed to boost a specific person's pension. Mm-hmm. And I personally, um, it's great that it gives me something to write about, uh, but I, I wish I wish people didn't do this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but was... yeah, I've been writing for years following the saga of like, you know, how they did it. Um, and this is like a fight with uh, uh, Dana Red, um, a lifelong uh, South Jersey, you know, Camden Democratic operative slash mayor right. slash uh, state senator. You know, the way they. Um, I love that about passed, New Jersey. <laughs> they, they passed like she was uh, when she became the mayor of Camden. She had accumulated 20 years in the pension system. But thanks to a law that the people, her allies passed, mm-hmm. she had to leave the pension system and wait until she retired and she collect a modest pension of like $37,000 when she retired uh, based on 20 years of service. So right before, you know, right as she's leaving mayor of Camden is a goodbye gift. They pass a bill specifically designed, no matter what they say, don't listen to them because there is overwhelming evidence that it was specifically designed. I shouldn't say don't listen to them. It's my job. <laughs> but what like when they say this bill was not specifically designed for Dana Red, that is not true. Yeah. And you can tell it was because they she was it was done in such a time to happen right as she was leaving as mayor. And they didn't manage to get the bill through before she left office. So they went in and tinkered with the language. So they made sure she was eligible. Retroactive. Yeah. Right before they passed. Yeah, they went mm-hmm. through and yeah, they made it retroactive. So that's how you can tell it was done specifically for her, no matter what they say. Wow. Um, it affected a few other people, a very small amount, but that's who it was for. And uh, they let, while they did this, they also, so they let her back into the pension system, mm-hmm. let her buy back the time that she had missed, that she had been put into a defined contribution plan. Right. Uh, and then they gave her a job worth $275,000, which anyone familiar with, you know, how New Jersey works, and I'm sure a lot of pension systems, if you work for three years at that $275,000 salary, that is what your entire pension is based on, even right. though your salary had been much lower for the bulk of your career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so her pension which she hasn't started collecting yet. She turns 55, uh, I think, next year and will be eligible to start collecting it then. Wow. Um, her pension went from my calculations, which I haven't you know, uh, quite confirmed, but my calculation is it would have been $37,000 because it would have been based on a salary of $90,000 over 20 years. Right. Now it's based on a salary of $275,000 over 32 years. So that makes her pension, she'll be pulling down $160,000 a year. Wow. They more than quadrupled her pension through a piece of legislation. That's the kind of stuff that I feel like this is like, I want people to read this. This is when I feel like I'm doing a public service. That's right. Thing about horse race politics. Not mm. that that doesn't have a place, but this is where there's not a ton. There's not a ton of people who do these, you know, kind of in the legislation. It's like, they always do this at the last minute. They try to slip it past people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this is what I most enjoy doing about this job. This is when I feel like I'm really doing something that matters. Even if ultimately she'll get her pension, people should see the process, see it happen. Yeah, shine a bright light on it. Yeah, and and if if people don't want to do anything about it, you know that that's up to them. But at least I'm doing my part to put this out there and make it public. I oh, and so anyway. The, the last step, the reason I, Dana Red is on my mind, and I sometimes I feel like, well, why are you focusing on Dana Red so much? Lots of people boost their pensions. Because this is the most egregious case I've ever seen. And yeah. they passed 
special legislation just for just her. for her. Uh, but she just left that, you know, after I guess four, almost five years in that um, to that job that was two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars as the CEO of the Rowan Rutgers um, Board of Governors, which is a uh, an obscure government body that was created just uh, as part of a higher ed reorganization. Yep. I I don't think it's a very important organization. <laughs> but it sounds like it pays yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah, it paid all right. And uh, so she has now left that job. She left that last month and she just took a job as a CEO of uh, Camden Community Partnership. It's a nonprofit. It used to be called Cooper's Ferry. But mm-hmm. of course, much of its money comes from the government. And that job pays. I, I don't know what she's going to be making because that's not publicly disclosed yet. But I can tell you based on documents filed with the IRS that her predecessor, who was also her predecessor at the previous job she had, um, made uh, $400,000 a year. Wow. Uh, so so she will be pulling down $400,000 a year at this nonprofit, by the way, much of which is publicly funded. Okay, so um, who so is it's not her... like it's not taxpayer money. While collecting, she will be able to collect this $160,000 pension while serving in this $400,000 a year. See, this is the kind of thing I, I go, this is the kind of thing I rant to my wife about and she just rolls her eyes. Uh, but this is all completely legal and it's all done, I want to say brazenly. I mean, they do try to hide it in the fact that they try to shove it in, you know, deep into a lame duck session and original, you know, but um, uh the fact that it takes some gall, you know, to do that kind of thing for someone. But uh, okay, so who is her godfather? Who's her benefactor? <laughs> is that the next? That's the next uh, oh. leaf to turn over, or what? Oh no, we know who it is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, South Jersey Democrats. There's, you know, when you think of South Jersey Democrats, got it, got it. King George the Third. Understood. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for those Understood. unfamiliar with New Jersey politics, I'm referring to. So this is a conversation between you and me, and everybody else can That's eavesdrop so on us. I mean, I'm loving every second of it. I know exactly who you're talking about, Matt. Um, and I think that that's the thing about about New Jersey politics that is so wild, like widely misunderstood is like the layers and layers and layers. And I do hearken that back to having a cycle that never ends, right? Because you've got the presidential, you've got the, I mean, everybody in Washington is caring about what's going to happen in 30 days, right? What's going to happen in the midterms. You and I both know that in New Jersey, that is like secondary to what's going to happen next year because next year is when the playoffs yeah. are, right? Next year is the big year. That's when like everybody in the, you know, the assembly and the, and the, everybody's up, right? I mean, for the most part, right? The, at least the assembly members will be up next year, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. It's, uh, Congress and the governor. Is the, uh, Congress is the, always the political boss's, you know, second concern. Second concern. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, it's not as simple as like, I don't want to oversimplify it and say it's just money. But there's a lot more money at stake mm-hmm. uh, from the state legislature yeah. and local governments, you know, right. than there is uh, in federal office in terms of steering money and stuff. And the like that. state, the way the state works too, like as much as they call themselves a part-time legislature, they're not like Texas and some of these other states that come in for 15 minutes every two years. They are in twice a week. Uh, for a large chunk of the year, so they are really moving and grooving and doing things. Um, there's a there's a very legitimate argument to be made about making New Jersey New Jersey's legislature full time. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it, it can be a difficult thing to do because it may, you know it, you get campaign ads that say oh you want to pay the politicians more, but it's like if you look at who some of them work for and the you know the the many many 
potential conflicts uh, with government contracts and things like that. You could certainly make an argument that it's it's um, you're you're paying them much more than you would if they had you know full time salaries like livable uh, salaries for a middle class person in New Jersey no um, who can devote themselves to this one job. Uh, I'm not advocating for it, but I certainly think an argument could be made for sure. Um, well, and, and, that'll be that would be almost as popular as the idea about changing the rules about gas pumping and all those other things. <laughs> I mean, it'd be hard to make that adjustment. All right, Matt, you and I are coming up on 30 minutes, and I know you've got to get back to covering the state. So I want to ask you two more quick questions. Um, what uh, when you when you get up in the morning, what do you have to read in order to get like never mind politics or anything else? Like what kinds of things are, are is Matt reading to get smart about? politics or journalists or journal what or life what kinds of things do you like to read in the morning to keep you uh, up to date uh you know it's um it's sad uh i get a lot of my news especially in the morning i i go through twitter and usually the twitter uh sometimes for a while i wasn't using the algorithm i was just doing the straight scrolling but i found that i wasn't kind of catching the stuff that had been tweeted at different hours that i wanted to see um so I, my immediate news I'll get from Twitter, I'll scan the New York Times, mm-hmm. uh, CNN.com, uh, sometimes, you know, just see what they're over talking about Fox News, um, of course, political main national website. Um, I read, uh, you know, Terrence McDonald sends out a very short uh, newsletter that is nowhere near as good as mine. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's another it's another uh, uh good newsletter writer in New Jersey politics. There's a much shorter newsletter. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's mostly what his website, New Jersey Monitor, has done. But he also highlights a couple other stories um, uh, from other uh, around New Jersey journalism networks. And just as my job, I mean, what I'm doing, I'm going to every major and somewhat major news outlet in New Jersey um, throughout the day. Yeah. So it's sort of like I'm already covering it because I have to do that uh, to compile the news. Of course. And I have to just go to Google News and search New Jersey and a few other names and keywords. I'm not very good with alerts. I kind of like doing things manually. So so that's kind of where I am. And that's good. When I'm not yeah, and when, when it's not the morning when I'm out when I'm trying to read for leisure, mm. I never read political books. Uh almost never anyway because yeah. I want to get out of this world a little bit. I want to escape it. Um, I read uh, either like nonfiction historical books or or fiction. You have a favorite? So, Do you have a favorite? Anything that stands out in your mind? Uh, favorite book? Well, let's see. Um, maybe my favorite book of all time. I really love historical fiction. I love I Claudius, um, which is uh, it's it's a book about Claudius, Emperor Claudius, mm-hmm. uh, and it's sort of like almost a template for The Sopranos. You can see parallels. In fact. Livia is kind of the dominating character, his, his, his um, grandmother. And Livia, of course, we know that name, of you know, the mother of yeah. the Sopranos. Uh, and uh, I just, I, I love that book so much. I think I'm going to read it again. I think I've read it three times, maybe only It's twice. on my list now. I'm going to read it. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I love that. that. Uh, I'm currently reading a book called Circe, which is about the uh, Greek uh, nymph god Circe, uh, really interesting i don't know a lot of greek mythology but now this makes me want to read more it it's, nice. it's it's told a lot of the greek myths a lot of the uh uh the odyssey told through the perspective of this sort of i guess more of a minor god uh kind of a feminist perspective on it it's an excellent book i'm almost done with it i'm really enjoying it uh i just read uh for the 
I think only the second time I read it, a little, little beautiful book called A Month in the Country mm-hmm. um, about a World War I veteran who goes to this tiny uh, village in Northern England and uncovers a medieval fresco in a church. Uh, and it's just sort of this meditative, perfect little book uh, awesome. that you could read in a day or two. That's awesome. Um, lovely book to just read during the summer in the country or something like that. Cool. Oh, we're at the Jersey Shore. Uh, all right. So, Matt, uh, as we get to the end of our conversation today, who should I talk to for a future episode? You know, that uh, in New Jersey, journalists who I don't see out there a lot in terms of making public appearances, not a ton anyway, but who I think is doing important work. And who is the only other journalist I would say who, until recently, uh, did a lot on campaign finance would be Ashley Balserzak at the record. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I didn't. Uh, uh, and I think she's done really good work both on campaign finance. We've uh, covered a lot of the same ground on that and I think have sort of built off each other's stories. Awesome. Uh, and uh, now she's doing housing, which I have never done, but it's an important beat, certainly. So that's, you know someone who might be worth uh, talking to. Not a long history in New Jersey, as far as I know, but I'm going to reach out. Work. Yep. I love so it. Cool. All right, Matt, this was really fun. We could probably talk for another hour about New Jersey politics, but we'll spare everybody the nonsense. Uh, Mawa versus Wawa. What's the story with that? Well, I'm just, I, as a journalist, I don't feel ad, uh, comfortable advocating for much, but I will say I am, I want, Wawa to open a store in Mawa for the simple reason is I want there to be a Mawa Wawa because I like saying it. <laughs> I love Mawa, it. Wawa. All right, That's Matt. <laughs> I love it so much. Thank you so much for your time today. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. See you. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.